I'll play back the levels the way you set them. Say it on me. Hey, pussy, are you still there? Lee. I back. People are always saying about the talk, and I talk, and I talk, and I talk, but guess who can walk? I back it up. I back it up. That means it's time to roll, baby. You got nothing going on between your ears, bro. Hey, John, do you think I'm just going to sit there and let you kill me, John? I mean, really. I think I could beat every girl in my division with one hand. That guy is such a dick. I mean, you show your true colors after a fight. That fucking guy comes up to me. You know who you are, huh? I don't have much left to say other than you have seen nothing yet. <laughs> Hope to God you come ready. I'm Michael Morgan and welcome to this week's episode of The Wocast. Joining me, as always, my sister from another mister. She says what she means and means what she says. It's G from Woe TV. Yes, your co-host that does the most. What's up, Mike? Man, well, I'm recovering, as you probably are, from UFC 248. What a card. To coin a phrase, hella fun. I'm not going to lie to you, though. I tapped out just before, just before um, the main card. After, um, well, we're going to get into it. After Sugar Sean uh, dazzled, I thought, you know what? I'm going to watch all of the rest over some Coca Pops at breakfast. So, you know, without further ado, I suppose it's time we kind of got into the ins and outs and whys and wherefores of UFC 248. Israel Adesanya versus Yoel Romero. UFC 248 was a stacked card. In terms of the co main event, yep, it featured some fiery ladies. And the main event featured some gentle men. And I, I'm going to emphasize gentle men. Um, I want to start off with the talking point of the prelims. I mean, feel free to jump in. We don't have to take them in any order. But for you, um, what was your first talking point? What was the thing that kind of stood out for you? What was the thing that made you say, whoa? Sean O'Malley versus Jose uh, Jose Quinones, yep. Yes, from Mexico. Mm. And I have to say that I was blown away by Sean O'Malley's performance. And again, I'd like to reiterate that I just started watching him fight once he came to the UFC. I saw some footage from the Contender Series, and I know that he's like a big deal and he's flashy and everybody likes him and he's like some millennial hipster type of fighter. But I'm really just honing in on him now, and I must say that performance blew my mind away. It, 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 it just, I don't know if you saw it, Mike, but yeah, the way in which he took control of the fight from the time it began till when he knocked the dude out was unreal. And he controlled the fight with his distance, his pace, the range, and he was able to just pick shots beautifully because he was in control the whole time. And that's why you saw him toss Jose to the side like that, come back out, hit him with a, a head kick. Come back out again, come back in, and hit him with a beautiful uppercut right on right on the nose. It was remarkable. And then, of course, you saw that ground and pound real quick. And all done so smoothly. I thought maybe he hit a bowl before the fight. Like, it was so smooth. I was like, did he smoke? Did he, like, find an empty parking lot and hit a J real quick or some shit? Like, he did it so smoothly and with no emotion. Like, he's just... He made a statement and he's back. What I loved was the accuracy. I, you know, I can't add or take away from anything that you said there, but every shot counted. Yeah. The accuracy was on point. But, you know, the talking point for me was him actually channeling his, his inner crip. Yes. He looked like, you know, from, a, from the west side, from where I was sat. I loved the cane rolls. I loved the fact that, you know, he looked neat and tidy. Yeah. And I loved, you know, the, the focused pinpoint accuracy absolutely amazing yeah and also answering the critics who were kind of thinking okay well 
this guy's had a two-year layoff. How is he going to actually yeah. look? It looked like he fought last month. Yeah. He looked incredible. And I was that critic because on the last episode, Mike, I was concerned about him developing his brand and his video game brand rather than honing his skills being that he was, you know, suspended for such a long time. I was afraid of ring rust. I was afraid that he wasn't really sharpening his tools. And I was wrong. In fact, I think he spent the majority of the time training and shaking off the ring rust and also getting better at whatever he's good at right now. Because when he came in there, he looked sharp poised and he looked like someone that had been training nonstop. so he shut me right up with, with whatever I was saying last week and all my anxieties no Sean O'Malley's back and he's been training the whole time and it shows I, I'm with you when you know looking at him he is definitely a prospect and speaking of which I think in terms of next opponents how does this float your boat if at all yeah. how about Sugar Sean O'Malley versus our man in the UK Nathaniel Wood how about that you like that Yes. You see, I know Nathaniel's on this, um, well, he's spearheading this movement to demolish all of those who actually defeated his mentor, and that is Brad Pickett. But I like the fact that, you know, this actually carves out his own niche, plus the narrative behind it being, you know, prospect versus prospect. So that, for me, would be a tantalising matchup. For me, Adolfo Vieira versus uh, Sabek Sarapov um, was sweet on so many levels. Not only did we see a masterclass in transitions, jiu-jitsu, and just sheer dominance. Dominance, which yeah. I have to say, look, terrifying. Vieira was like a bow constrictor eating a mouse. Like yes. Once yes. he took him to the ground, it was over. Like you could just tell he was about to work his magic. And Mike, you were damn right for putting this on my radar because, you know, last... Again, last show, you really were high on this guy and you were telling me so much about him. I'm like, Mike, I never heard of this guy. Then I watched the fight. He comes out like a, like you said, a Spartan Adonis, like abs for days. He looks like a statue. And then, you know, he takes like a couple shots or two and he's like, that's it. I'm taking this guy to the ground and I'm taking him to my territory and the fight is now over. Then I do a little bit of research, Mike. This guy is a a submission grappling world champion mm. ace he's a legend he is an absolute phenom like i say recommended to me by hodger gracie he said watch this guy when he gets to the ufc and he will you know he told me about him about well, i think it's about three three years ago he said when he gets to the ufc and he will watch this guy but reporting from the trenches as always is kairos i think it's about time we brought him in you guys, I'm gonna be real with y'all. Nasty Kairos might show his fangs. I've recorded this same audio track five times, four times prior. It was all nasty and bottled, and I'm trying to stay away from that. But let's just, be, just let's just be real. I'm sick of when people say that's not a conversation we're ready to have. I do that a lot. But fuck that. These are stuff we need to talk about, and we need to have this dialogue open. Because how do we expect to have any sort of common ground if we aren't even willing to talk about these issues? Fuck how you feel. Fuck everybody else's opinions. Say your truth, I'll say mine, and we'll meet somewhere in the middle. Let's talk about the Tony versus Habib press conference. And before I start, I'm not here to say Tony was wrong. I'm not here to say the reporter was wrong. I'm here to say they are both in the wrong. When we graduate from third to the fourth grade, we realize that the world isn't just black and white. There are shades, degrees, and accents and different variations, which creates the beautiful world that we live in. Everything isn't absolute, and you motherfuckers that think that are out of your damn minds. You're out of your minds. Here's my problem with how that conversation happened. 
first of all, the reporter came from a position of gratitude. He was showing how inspired he was by what Tony has overcome in his mixed martial arts career and what he has done. Now, did he have the right to ask him that question? Some would say no, some would say yes, but when we're talking about mental health and asking questions, there's no way to tiptoe around those questions. Granted, Tony Ferguson has said in the past that his mental health issues are none of anybody's concerns. Now, the reporter not knowing about that didn't do his job. He's literally paid to investigate and ask questions. He didn't do his due diligence with Tony, and he's at fault for that. But at the same time, though, it wasn't like he was asking a question regarding the topic. He was congratulating him. But every single person in the fucking stadium, boo, shut the fuck up. I don't, I you motherfuckers surprised me every single, just when I thought the average MMA fans couldn't get dumber, they got fucking stupider. Let me not say they got stupid. Let's just say their actions were dumb, idiotic, whatever your choice of words are. That's what they did in that situation. And it proved everything about the fact that our fan base is some of the most toxic people in the world why did tony ferguson respond in the manner that he did if your mental health issues were that severe you could have just left it at thank you i don't want to talk about this or just nod your head or just don't respond next question you don't have to come at that man with shut the fuck up i don't want to hear your fucking advice first of all it wasn't advice second of all if you thought that dismissing that question in the manner that you did was going to erase all doubt about your mental health issues, it had the complete opposite fucking effects. John Franklin tweeted that literally right when the event happened, and he couldn't have said it any better. Any better. I'm not sitting here trying to come at Tony Ferguson to say, you are acting like an idiot. I'm just sitting here to say, you don't have to talk to people like this. It'd be one thing if you were going to compete with this guy and fight with him in the cage and all this other jazz. But this man's literally just trying to do his job, trying to talk to you man to man, person to person. We don't have to get gender exclusive here and congratulate you for everything that you've overcome and tell you that he's inspired. Because that's what great people do. Great people encourage the greatness out of each other. Now, they're both in the wrong, though. I'm not, like I said, they're both in the wrong. I'm not here to sit here and come from a position of being all high and mighty and say, well, the reporter has the right to ask these questions. I just think that he wasn't asking a question. He was just saying, making a statement and left it open to interpretation. And you guys gutted him for that. All these tweets, what, he had no right to ask him that. What a sick, demented question. First, you people don't hear anything. That's why whenever I say something, I make sure I repeat my points over and over because people just want to hear what they want to hear. So let me repeat it for a third time for y'all. The reporter and Tony Ferguson were in the wrong, both of them. And anyone who thinks it's one or the other, I encourage you, I encourage you to graduate from kindergarten. I encourage you. And you guys always are calling me Pastor Kairos, preacher this, reverend this, deacon this. Guess what, guys? My dad's actually a pastor, so I appreciate y'all not not uh, not doing that because that's blasphemy. This is blasphemy. I'm I'm like I'm using cur I'm cursing. I'm using language like I, you know. <laughs> let me just stop. Let me just stop while I'm ahead. Anyway, anyway, they're both in the wrong for the fifth time. Hopefully, this fourth, fifth, sixth, seventh recording that I've done isn't coming from a place of hatred. I just want you guys to understand my qualm with the current landscape of our sport, whereby you can't ask certain questions because it makes other people feel uncomfortable. Similar to how the guy asked a question about the coronavirus and everyone's booing, shut the fuck up, dude, bro, why are you talking about this? I'm sorry, I'm using a skateboard accent. I'm just like trying to go and put my mind to the average MMA fan or whatever someone might say, use my voice or whatever. That was kind of out of pocket for what I did. Anyway though, why is it that we can't have these conversations about pertinent issues just because it might offend you? That is a real world epidemic going on. People are dying from it. People are contracting the virus. That could absolutely 
have an effect on future MMA events, not just in the UFC, but other organizations around the world, and already is, in fact. But yet, when we ask that question, it's such a bad thing, but you guys are okay with the reporters asking the same motherfucking question a hundred times every single fight. How are you preparing for this fight differently? What have you been doing in time off? What do you expect to do? How do you see this fight go? Motherfuckers, if we get asked those questions one million times, I should be able to ask one question about the coronavirus. Oh, man. Well, my plan just blew up in my face. I, I said that this one wasn't going to be angry. But it was angry, but ugh, man, fuck. I love y'all. Have a great week. You see, mental health and mental health issues, I feel, is a very, very tricky and quite a delicate subject. So not everybody, you know, is open and honest about discussing it, and especially when you're discussing it with somebody you don't know. So I hear where Kairos is coming from because I do believe they were both wrong in that scenario. I feel that there was um, an element of, do your research there. But the, also, you know, I think Tony should really look at things from the point of view that, you know, he's in a position to be an advocate, a mental health advocate, and to talk to um, that narrative and to actually be a spokesperson. Oh, no, okay. And let me reel, reel that back. Not necessarily be a spokesperson, but to destigmatize mental health issues by being open about it, I think would have been a good start. But all I've got to say on it is not everybody is as open and wants to actually discuss it to the level where you're doing it in your job. Ferguson is on his day job. He's at a press conference talking about his job. So why should his mental health be a subject for discussion and debate? I hear the narrative that says, okay, let's talk about something other than, oh, how did you uh, fight camp go and um, what do you think about your opponent how are you preparing but also let's be mindful that we are talking about mental health and it is a very very sensitive subject yeah I mean I, I, I do agree with Carol's in in both ways meaning that I'm not even a journalist and I know that Tony Ferguson is very private and doesn't want to talk about that horrendous situation that he was in, in which where he was tearing up the walls and his wife and child had to flee and call the police for assistance. That sounds pretty scary. And I quite understand why he wouldn't want to talk about that because that is indicative to mental health or some type of psychosis. And that's just something he doesn't want to share. And he has a history of not discussing these things or not being very friendly with the media. So the journalist that asked him that should have been maybe prepared for such a response or maybe he should have known that Tony would not have warmed to it. But I give the journalist props for trying to be as professional and as polite as possible about such a delicate topic. If you notice the journalist doesn't even ask a question and Karos is right, Y'all need to pay attention. He was giving Tony a compliment. He was not asking a question. And let's not forget that the journalist is the bridge between us and fighters. It is his job to try to get information about the fighters. Hello, there are fans like me that are concerned with Tony Ferguson's help. When I'm in the chat groups in, in Twitter, you know, sometimes the topic of discussion is, man, how is Tony fighting after what he went through with the walls and that psychosis? I hope he's okay. And I bring that up to show you that fans are concerned. And then secondly, there are fans that struggle from the same psychosis that he went through or even worse, or anxiety. And there are fighters that talk about this anxiety. Megan Anderson, Jacare, even our own James Gallagher from Bellator has discussed this. So it's not really uncommon for 
journalists to kind of poke and prod or even for fighters to, you know, talk about it. So I don't get why the response was so negative. And I hold Tony accountable as well. A simple no comment will do. You can just shut the guy down and move on because you're just not prepared to talk about it or that you're, you know, you're private. I thought his response, fuck you and fuck your advice, was a bit over the top and, and, and just made Tony look, it brought attention to his situation. It kind of made people like, is the dude really crazy now? Like if Tony wants to keep his business private, you might not want to give people the information to talk about you and now to discuss that information because i mean his response came off as a little off you know the the whole fuck you thing and speaking of which we've got a pretty timely um segment from chisanga malata hi guys chisanga malata here from the daily star and daily express coming to you live from glasgow airport and my location actually is uh, quite fitting given the topic that I'm going to be talking about right now, which is the biggest topic globally, which is undoubtedly the deadly spread of the coronavirus, which has sadly claimed the lives of thousands of people across the globe. The virus, which has led to the type of panic buying we're used to seeing in films, has wrecked havoc with travel companies and the lives of everyday normal people. and has even led the Italian government to draw up plans to quarantine nearly 16 million people in northern Italy. The potential global pandemic has understandably also caused havoc in the sporting world, with some Serie A games in Italy being cancelled and playing behind closed doors. And the mixed martial arts world has also fallen victim to the virus as well. Just last month, one championship's King of the Jungle show ended up going ahead behind closed doors in Singapore, I do believe, due to the outbreak of the disease. And off the top of my head i do believe singapore is one of the countries most affected in in the asia region by the virus also rising promotion areas has also been affected by the coronavirus as they've been forced to postpone their planned show over april 3rd until october 30th i do believe now in terms of the ufc they seem to be monitoring the situation but they currently have no plans in place to cancel any of their scheduled shows but given the magnitude of the situation one would hope and one would also assume that the thought of potentially postponing or even totally cancelling shows would have crossed the minds of the promotion's top brass I'm not surprised by the UFC's current stance on cancelling events as the majority of their shows are scheduled to take place in North America where the virus is yet to have a serious impact. I do, however, believe Bellator could be tempted to go the opposite route and postpone or at least consider postponing some of their events. I make that assumption given the massive amount of European fighters they have on their roster and their expansion into emerging markets, in particular Italy. I do believe they had a show in in Milan in October, if that's off the top of my head. Feel free to correct me if I'm wrong. So for me, there's a distinct possibility that some of their plans to expand into these emerging markets could be severely affected by the outbreak of the virus. Now, do I think they or the UFC should hastily scrap all shows that they got lined up in a bid to stop the outbreak? No, not at this moment in time. At this moment in time, the majority of countries, in particular UFC, uh, the UFC, sorry, the USA, seem to have things under control when it comes to this outbreak. That being said, though, one can't ignore the fact that 
these events, in particular UFC events and some of the arenas that they host these events that bring thousands and thousands of fight fans together and puts them in close proximity with one another, making it the perfect breeding ground for the virus to grow. Now, when it comes to fighters who are staying in the countries who are heavily affected by the virus, it would behoove sorry, the UFC and Bellator to get those fighters who are set to compete or be in action in the coming months into relatively safer zones, much like the UFC did uh, with uh, Zhang Weili. Now, as it pertains to UFC London, I've reached out to the promotion to ask for comment on the ongoing situation, but I've yet to receive an official response. I do, however, understand they'll be following the suit of other sporting organizations by encouraging fans to take extra precautions when it comes to their hygiene, in particular the hygiene at certain events. Okay, guys, that's all for me. Chisangamaya from the Daily Star and Daily Express. I'm about to hop on a plane. Peace out and catch you next week, folks. Um, I don't really want to be, you know, ratcheting up the, the fear which seems to be enveloping, especially the UK. People are panic buying, particularly um, toilet paper. But I think Chisanga, um may be a little bit optimistic when he talks about, you know, this not actually affecting uh, in in its entirety mixed martial arts because we or our government has actually said that depending on how this actually plays out um, large-scale gatherings may be um, cancelled may be actually scaled back and uh, may be postponed so as much as I don't want you want to be you know um, putting the, the fear among the fear which already exists out there I'd be very surprised, considering that today's count, we're getting a daily tally as to how many people are affected by the coronavirus. The daily tally stands at this moment in time on Sunday as we're recording this at 250 people infected. Yeah, I think that, you know, fans need to gear up and just keep their fingers crossed and hope that the coronavirus doesn't affect, you know, our love and thirst for these events, but be prepared that it can happen in the States. Granted, in the United States, Mike, it is not as bad as Italy, Iran, or China, or Japan, but there are cases here, and it seems to be spreading, but not at such a high rate as those countries that I mentioned. However, I suspect the UFC will follow the guidelines of whatever country their venue or fight is in, as far as the state or the country, and I would not be surprised if some of these events, if they affect the state side and that state is you know has a high rate of corona we might start seeing some fights like you know i believe it was one championship where they still had the fight but nobody was in attendance okay just before we move on i'm, I'm intrigued and you know this is like um selfish curiosity here i'm looking at the numbers which are coming out in terms of those affected in the u.s now given how large a landmass that you guys are working with. You've got a huge country, but very, very small numbers of people have been diagnosed with the coronavirus. Now, given how large a landmass that you have, I just wondered, is there any formal testing? What is actually happening with regard to testing? Because the numbers that are coming out at the moment, like I say, are relatively low. 
Very low, in fact. Yeah, I mean, as far as um, testing, what I know is that any American that comes back from these hot zones, and hot zones meaning where coronavirus is at an all-time high, like China, Japan, Iran, and especially Italy. I believe Italy has more confirmed cases than China, which people don't realize. Um, you have to be swab tested immediately, and you are being quarantined. And if you test for it in my home state, which is New York, it's an automatic 14-day yeah. quarantine away from your family, friends, and, and whatnot. Like, you are by yourself for 14 days straight until the virus. And then you are treated, and that's it, to try to keep it from spreading. So mm. that's basically what we're doing in the States. But I, I will say that a lot of people are freaking out over here. Like, you can't find bleach. You can't find alcohol. I think wow. I think the toilet paper th- and um, antibacterial hand sanitizer is, like, you know, gold out here. Um I know yeah, I don't know why in Australia and other places toilet paper is the is the the life saving agent, but um, here it's anti. Not the same in the states. Yeah, no, it's more um, antibacterial um, wipes and hand sanitizer and cleaning products that are flying off the shelves in water. And wow. New York, everyone is walking around with a mask, even though they say that the mask it really isn't going to help you. And we yeah. are just washing our hands a lot here and not touching our faces because. Like I said before and earlier in the broadcast, we are going with what our government tells us to do, which is stay calm, get tested if you don't feel well, and stay in the house and quarantine yourself if you don't feel well and wash your hands. That's where we're at right now. Mm. And I think that's how the UFC is going to be as well. Wherever they're putting on a show or a fight, they're going to follow the guidelines of that leadership, that government and what they're doing and what the CDC says to do. But like I said before, we mm. got to gear up and get ready in case they start to do shows with no fans and just fighters or they cancel shows. I mean, if we don't get a hold of this epidemic, that could happen. Yeah, exactly. Let's just hope that yeah. the whole approach of containment actually works. But speaking of containment, I couldn't contain myself when I woke up this morning and watched that main card. Now... Mm. Um, there are a couple of standouts um, before the co-main and main event. Um, I, I personally feel as though um, Benil Darish and uh, Draco Close, that was one that hell of a fine. KO. I mean, I, I hadn't actually factored on, you know, that being a KO win when I was actually doing my picks because, you know, I do rate the prowess of Draco Close, but... Man, that KO was absolutely incredible. Oh, that whole fight was like so much fun because, you know, Mike. Mm, the back and yeah, forth. Yeah, the, the back and forth. And not just that, uh, you know, by the end of the first round, I was like, okay, uh, Benil, hurry up and submit close so we can get to this Coleman event that I've been waiting for all goddamn night. Because the way that he mm. rode his back and made him work to fight that submission off his back and then the way he was climbing his back, I just knew that eventually Benil would get, you know, some type of submission in round two. And in Instead, Benil got punched really hard in the face, woke up, and then walked across the octagon and just started beating the hell out of <laughs> Drakkar Close, <laughs> made him do the stanky leg, and then beat his ass up, 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 up against the cage, and then his mouthpiece yeah. damn near fell out. So I was in the house like, whoa, I didn't see that coming. And here's another thing. Fun fact, Drakkar Close, you were absolutely right, Mike. He doesn't lose by KO or submission. You have to beat mm. him by decision. Mm. You got to fight him like a dog. Yep. He's not known to be KO'd yeah. or submitted. And a submission artist came in there and knocked his ass out. Unreal. It was just <laughs> such a great fight and such a weird call out at the end of the fight. Did you hear that? 
The call yeah, out. He, he, Who did he call out? We're still trying to figure that out, Mike. He was like, I, I want to make a call out. And then he went into a whole little segment of loving um, Robert Ritiker and saying he was a great father. So um, <laughs> <laughs> we're, st- we're still trying to figure out who Benil wants to fight next. I'm, I'm unsure yeah. if he wants to go to another weight class and fight Robert or and because he's a good father, I'm unsure. But mm. perhaps Benil maybe had his uh, egg scrambled a bit more than we thought, even though he was the winner, because that call out was one of the strangest call outs in UFC history. But it was fun. Sounds yeah, like it. Yeah, it was fun. <laughs> so from the main card again, before we get to the co-main and main event. What was uh what was doing it for you? Um, I wanted to know why Neil Magny was so pissed off and fought the way that he did. Like, first of all, I didn't pick him to win, and then I had the nerve. I have crow to eat. I had the nerve to be like, ah, you can figure him out. You know, he's probably gonna have a little <laughs> ring rust. He's not. He wasn't all that exciting before. Santiago Ponzinibbio smoked him. I talked all this shit, mm. and Neil Magny came out. And he beat the living dog shit out of Li Jing Lang. And, he, and it was as if Neil was fighting USADA and was pissed off that USADA made him, you know, take a seat for a while. Like, he outworked Li Jing Lang. He outclassed him. He beat him to the punch. And he used his jab beautifully to keep Li Jing Lao on the outside the whole time. And he mixed up the striking and he was coming forward. I have never seen Neil Magny fight like this ever before. And I'm open. I'm ready for him for his next bout. And he's fighting pissed off, Mike. And I can't. I, I think I, I just don't even know what to make I think, of it. Well, I think it's because just like you and I had written him off in the last we sure did. Wocast, and um, I have to say, um, we put a lot of store by his opponent. I think that was kind of like echoed across the net because a lot of people had actually counted him out. A lot of people was putting a lot of store by Jing Liang. Yeah. And um, I think that actually, uh, actually, um, well, permeated and got back to, yeah. uh, got back to him. And, and, you know, that obviously fired him up. And I'm glad. I'm glad yeah, it fired him up because look at the result. Yeah, look at the result. And then now it's it adds even more intrigue to the welterweight bout. Because remember, yeah. his stock went down a little bit with the Santiago. Tiago Ponzinibbio KO. I'm sorry, that was a mm. horrible KO. He, I mean, Ponzinibbio knocked him out stiff and he fell forward like he died. And then like he kicked out his yep. legs up under him. His stock went down and he's had some good wins in the UFC, but he's not the most exciting self-promoting fighter. He's also not the most exciting no. fighter in the, in the cage. So when Santiago came and just murdered him, I feel like his stock mm. went down a little bit. There's a reason why we all wrote him off. So for him to come out here and fight the way that he did just adds this extra intrigue to the division now. Like who do, now I want to know who does Neil fight next? Now I'm like Ling Jing Ling um Jing now has to fight somebody else, but now my intrigue now is focused on Neil and and I love that we have this new not contender but somebody to look out for again like a rebirth of Neil Magny. And I'm it's like a reintroduction. Yeah, and I'm excited, you know. Well, speaking of reintroductions, uh, we were reintroduced to uh, Zhang Wei Li. Mm. Now, her decision win over Joanna Yanjechik, mm-hmm. I have to say, is the best, one of the best. No, 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 no. I was about to say two things there. It's one of the best fights, period, I've seen in um women's uh title fights but it's definitely up there with the best fights across regardless of gender because that was from start to finish one of the most energetic fights 
back and forths. I mean, you had, um, it was full mixed martial arts, mm. given that, you know, you had two um, proficient um, mixed martial artists who are really, really great on their feet, mm. really great at striking. Um, like I say, I think, you know, this proved um, what I said in the last podcast that, you know, I really do think that um, Joanna or Joanna is more technical in terms of um, her prowess. But, you know, the speed of um, Weili Zhang, I have to say, it was absolutely phenomenal, incredible. And the range of motion as well. Yeah. I mean, where she was coming from, it, it looked as though, you know, the whole, um, well, dissing her nation, talking about, you know, the coronavirus, all of that, that pent-up aggression was taken out on, well, Joanna's forehead because oh, that hematoma, it, it looked ferocious. I think it's the worst one I've seen ever. Like it was to me, yeah. it wasn't a hematoma. Her whole head just got swole. Usually, <laughs> usually mm. it's a knot. I just felt like the whole top of her head was just twice the size and her face. Like it was really scary. But I will say this is that I mean, man, we were in for such a treat because th these fighters, Mike, they're so high level. That's why we enjoyed ourselves yeah. because they match each other evenly, speed, power. And, and my favorite part about this fight is that neither woman backed down from either fighter's best shot. Like they, I don't remember a time in this fight. I don't care how many times Joe Rogan said, she's hurt, she's hurt. I didn't see neither one no, of them was hurt. Jesus. Neither one of them saw mm. stars. Neither one of them did the stanky leg. I did see some hard shots where they were like, shit, that hurt. But they kept coming yeah. forward. You know what I mean? Like nobody did the stanky leg. And I love that this was just such a high-level fight with this type of outcome. But I will say this. I did give Zhang three out of um, five of the rounds, and I thought she won. And what surprised me the most about Welly Zhang is that she was the champion in the fourth and fifth round. But yet she's the yes. rookie in fighting in championship fights. And that goes to show you how good yep. she is. I, could, I mm. thought that... Joanna was going to be the one to turn it up in the fourth and fifth round. Similar to how we watched Dominic Reyes drown a little bit to John Jones in the fourth and fifth round because people like Joanna and John Jones, fighting five rounds is nothing new to them and they know how to turn it up in those um, championship rounds. So to see the rookie, Welly Zhang, in her first championship defense take control of the last two rounds and then to... Mm -hmm. to, to Put that much output in the in those last two rounds and fight like a champion. And don't forget, in the fifth round, Welly Zhang put Joanna's nose on the other side of her face, which oh, remember time. that, and and it caused Joanna to no longer come forward, but just to kind of respond to, to Zhang. And Zhang was now coming forward. She fought like a champ, bro. That's nuts. Yeah, this is her first title defense. How come Joanna wasn't schooling her, the veteran? And with that being said, I think everybody on, on M online and MMA Twitter needs to stop with this. We haven't seen enough of Welly Zhang. Yes, we have. She she took control of the championship rounds with a future Hall of Famer in her first defense. That is saying a lot. Well, that kind of like neatly segues into this week's audio question, mm. which we got from Stuart Campbell. Yes. Let's run that. Hi, guys. Um, it's uh, Stuart here. How are you? Um, so, we've seen um, an all-out war for the co-main event of UFC 248 between Welly and, I can't pronounce her name, Joanna. But 
we've seen and all that that was a really good fight but when it came to the main event the main event was very sloppy I don't understand why Israel has taken his victory so seriously when he wanted to stop Yoel properly no one, he says no one has ever stopped him I want to be the first man to do it he's never done that I don't know why he's been so um, he's accepting it it's a bad fight I just want your opinions on it. Uh, what did you think of the co-main event and the main event? And who is next for Israel? I know Paulo Costa is. But do you think that Paulo Costa will beat Israel? Thank you very much. Well, it's kind of uh, fortuitous that Stuart has actually asked about Paulo Costa and whether he will be able to win in his bout, which is obviously going to be next for Israel Adesanya because it's about time that we actually got into the main event you know before we even talk about the fight itself um, if you can call it that um, I love the fact that I heard that Israel Adesanya got a knockback in that he wasn't actually allowed to do anything elaborate flamboyant or anything close to what he did um, with regards to the last walkout. That was very risky considering, you know, there was certain acrobatics involved where, you know, that could have gone quite badly wrong. I love the whole coming to America vibe. And it was it was deep on so many levels. This was his coming out party in terms of, or was supposed to be his coming out party in terms of coming to America. His first pay-per-view um, headliner um, in America and the whole coming to America vibe the, the prince mm-hmm. um, of Zamunda was actually uh, had flowers thrown at his feet as the uh, the, the wonderful women accompanying, accompanying him um, were actually walking alongside him but you know for me I think that there was more energy in that walkout um, as opposed to the energy which was definitely devoid and what was definitely missing from the main event. So that about wraps up this week's episode. I don't really. I think you know, I was like, Wait as a much minute, as it what? pains me, we do have to. <laughs> we do. We do have to go into that gothic monstrosity, which was the main event. Let's just imagine, just for a second. Let's just pause. Let's just imagine that we could be in a situation where Yuana Yunjaitik and Wally Zhang was the main event, and that is what we were talking about. But no. We've got to talk about the non-event that was Israel Adesanya versus Yo Romero. Now, for me, I'm trying to be and hold it <laughs> in a professional um, light here. Mm-hmm. And, you know, I'll say this. Look, each person um, was obviously trying to work off the counter. There is no way that anybody can say that these two were uh, on on the attack um, for the majority of this fight because they surely weren't. It was whilst, you know, um, Yol was the challenger. I can understand, you know, don't stone me here, but I can understand why, you know, Israel Alessani was waiting for him to make the, the move. I mean, he's the champion. So you come to me, you have to take this belt was how it's kind of like playing out in my mind. But still... When you see that isn't happening, I have to say it's for you, Israel Alessandro, to take the high um, moral ground. It's for you to actually make things happen. You're the champion, so um, act like a champion. Walk like a champion. 
talk like a champion. Plus, <clears throat> you know something? There were smatterings for me of John Jones in Israel Adesanya. I'm not sure, maybe I'm reading too much into this, but he even talks in terms of cadence, in terms of tone, like John Jones. He matches his opponent and the way that he actually um, competes. He goes down to his opponent's level, and this seems to be playing out here. Um, I I don't know how I feel about what you just said here. Let me let me let me soak this all in. <laughs> um, I find more blame with Yo Romero than mm. I do with the champion Israel Adesanya, and I, finally we don't agree on something, and we can argue. Um, this is my thing with with Israel Adesanya being the champ. There is just so much at stake here. Yeah. for Israel Adesanya for him to just willy-nilly I'm going to bring it to Yol. No, why would he do such a thing when Yol showed up and has this very strange and bizarre game plan and at the last minute Israel's like I didn't train for this game plan. I was expecting the the Yol that comes forward at me and and let's not forget that Yol is incredibly dangerous. So Israel had to find a way to win the best way he knew how. And why would yeah. he willy-nilly just be like <clears throat> F it? I'm gonna come forward, and and I'm I'm gonna go against mm. who I am stylistically as a fighter, which is a counterfighter. That's one. So I'm gonna fight a way in which I'm not comfortable fighting, and two, I'm gonna take a huge chance of getting knocked out just to please fans or just to, oh I'm the champ. I'm supposed to bring it. No, he tried to beat him the best way he knew how, and he took out his leg, and it was lackluster. But why? But why aren't we talking about young oh, man who this was? probably his last chance at a title and you come in there and you just have a high guard and you wait for him to counter you and you do absolutely nothing and maybe just land like two or three significant hard punches and and you just wait for him the entire fight and when that doesn't work you make no mid-fight adjustments you just stick to this very strange game plan and this is his last but this is also it was a strange game plan title shot and for a for a myriad of reasons. Mm-hmm. One is his age. We really don't know if he can keep fighting until he's 50, like he says. And two, he's already fought for the title several times already. So how many chances are you going to get, y'all? And when this little strange plan didn't work, why didn't you switch things up? Why didn't <laughs> you try to goad him into a fight differently? Why does Israel have to change and risk his championship <clears throat> to accommodate Yo Romero? That doesn't make sense to me. You take it from the champ. You don't expect the champ to, you know, to take it from you. That's bizarre. <laughs> yeah. You, you see, that that's why I segued into that. You're right. Um, to um, come in and expect the champ to lay things on a yeah. plate for you ain't going to happen. That W uh, in this kind of stands for weird in my mind because I, I go back to what I said at the start. They both started off in a very, very weird manner. You had Yo Romero almost playing peekaboo with his arms up, uh, almost as though he was hiding behind those gloves. And you had Israel Adesanya just basically goading you on, make a move, make a move. You know what it reminded me of? You know what it reminded me of? It's like when you have your first go on something like Mortal Kombat or Tekken. Yeah, you don't and know the combinations. And you're trying to work out the buttons yeah. <laughs> for what the player does. <laughs> yes. It was almost as though they were doing that. But in the octagon, and it looked, I think, from Dana White's point of view, an embarrassment that, you know, I know I'm, I'm including mm-hmm. myself in this, that 
he was championing Yo to get this title shot, coming off the back of those losses, and to be in a situation where Yo let him down after championing his man, it, I think, must have left a very sour taste in Dana White's um, mouth to the extent where you said that this will probably be the last time that he gets um, a title shot. No, he won't. He will not be getting a title no. shot. This there is no probable says about nothing it. about Yo getting another title shot. And here's another thing. This could be somewhat controversial, <clears throat> but everybody who wanted this fight with Yo having a loss, Dana White pushing this fight for entertainment value is <laughs> why this happened. I don't know if this is some type of MMA karma or if the MMA gods have struck us down, but I feel like, and here's why I'm saying that. There's actually some logic in this. Think about this for one sec. If champions would just focus on just winning a lot, they would be just fine instead of chasing legacy. I just saw a press conference with Henry Cejudo as of recently, and he was like, I deserve to chase names. I'm chasing a legacy. Then you have Israel Adesanya saying, I want to yeah. fight the best of the best, regardless of whether or not Yoel has a loss, because this is about legacy. Can all of you just take mm. a look at Anderson Silver and GSP and realize that their legacy is so profound because they just beat up everybody that was put in front of them? If everybody, if all the champs yeah. would just stop chasing yeah. legacy and just would defend their titles in 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 beautiful and successive fashion and just kept doing it over and over again, they will get the the legacy that they acquire. If you keep rushing these legacy fights and fight people like Yo Romero, who sometimes doesn't make weight and puts that fight on the line. Hey, Mike, how scared were you when when Yo was last to get on that scale? Remember how how nervous were you? I was I I was shitting bricks. He made us wait in the weigh-ins. Do you know why you wait waited? It's because he fight. didn't deserve a title shot. And you know why we had this lackluster fight? It's because we well, didn't deserve a title shot. Here we are. Thank you. Yes, all y'all got to eat. Come Listen, on. you got to let Come the on, purists preach. Yes, go. you got to let the purists I've preach. Been for this. If if champions <laughs> just fought contenders, we would have Beautiful fights like Welly Zhang and JJ more often. And I understand sometimes contenders cancel each other out like mm. uh, Stephen Wonderboy and, and um, Woodley. Sometimes, you know, contenders can cancel each other out. But we got to stop giving people title shots that don't deserve them or have these champions chasing legacy. When the legacy is if you just defend your belt a lot, we will be very happy and you will have entertaining fights like Welly Zhang and JJ. This was a debacle. I mean, Israel Adesanya threw 48 strikes. For, for a five-round fight, my champion threw 48 strikes. Yo Romero, a beast, a monster, a man that we all fear in a five-round fight, threw 40 strikes in total. Mm. No, he didn't deserve it. That's why he should have got a win. Yeah. Excuse me, he should have got a win, and we should have seen Costa come at, at Izzy. We'd be very happy right now if that fight had taken place. Stop rushing legacy and stop chasing mm. legacy is the point of this speech. That's it. We deserve this main event, Mike. You, you know, you, you know, you know, mm. you are mm. kind, far too kind, because Ooh. let me just fix what you just said there. Mike, stop rushing legacy. Mike, stop giving people who don't deserve shit. Facts. Title shots. Mike, yep. you asked for this. This is what you got. Mike, do you remember that time on the last podcast when we discussed this and I said, when it, this happens, I'm going to take this to you. Mike, you got there what you, you go. deserved. Mike, yep. fuck you. <laughs> like, like Tony Ferguson, <laughs> fuck you. <laughs> That's, yeah. No, yeah. I just, 
when the fight was over, I felt my chest swell. I felt arrogant. I felt like a jerk. And I wanted to, to tweet like, we all deserve this. We all <laughs> wanted to see Yo Romero, even, even fucking Israel. Mm. Oh, I, legacy. I need to chase legacy. I need to chase legacy. Sit down and just fight whoever's in front of you. And by the time you beat up everybody and clear out your weight class, you are a legend, just like GSP, just like Anderson Silva. Anderson Silva never chased shit. He just beat up everybody. And now he's a, he's a god. Can they do the same why we got henry chasing aldo when he got peter yan and and aljo and meanwhile guess what i bet yeah. if he fights peter yan i bet you that'll be a performance of the night because that is the rightful contender that's the person that is either better than henry or just as good and they're gonna put on a show that's what i want to see you mm. know what's gonna happen he's gonna beat up aldo and we're all gonna cry we're all gonna cry and i'm gonna blame you mike just like i'm blaming you now <laughs> <laughs> well, you know something. I, I, I'm glad that we finally, you know, teased out what should have been said at the beginning of that speech. Mike, <laughs> you gonna learn? Done fucked up. <laughs> you know, the, 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 yeah. <laughs> you gonna learn today. Now, the, the, the thing for me is this: there's equal culpability though, because mm-hmm. Israel as the champion and Yoel as the challenger, they have to do their job. I think, um, you know, it was said at certain points during the refereeing of this. Look, you know, give people something to score. Give people something to judge. If you're not, and if there is inaction and if there's timidity, because to a certain extent there was timidity in this fight, how do you expect to maintain this quote-unquote legacy if you're not giving us anything to help you maintain? How do you expect to put in championship and to put down a statement if you're not actually yeah. pressing the action, pushing forward, you're not doing anything to actually yeah. establish this. How do you expect to, in terms of one-upmanship, do better than Robert Whittaker did against Yo Romero if you aren't actually backing up your talk? So that's what I'm saying. There's equal culpability here. Israel Adesanya knew he had a job to do, didn't do it. Yo Romero knew he had a job to do, didn't do it. But if you wanted to ask me, okay, in terms of culpability or culpability, mm-hmm. culpability, third time going, um, where does the weight or where does the scale actually rest? I would say firmly at the yes. door of yes, Yo Romero. Yes, he is far Romero. more culpable for this than anybody else. You bring it to the champ. And, but you know what? Yes. I, I put myself mm. in Yo's shoes and I did some reflecting and I thought about, well, why the hell would he come out and his whole damn team? Because, you know, it wasn't a singular effort. It's a team effort. They came up with that plan. What the fuck was they thinking? So I sat down and said to myself, yeah. what the fuck were they thinking? And this is what <laughs> I came up with. When Yo comes face mm. forward and he is the guy that we love to see and he goes at his op- um, opponents like he did Chris Weidman and like he did um, Robert Whitaker, he mm-hmm. doesn't win championship fights. You know what I mean? Like the style that we like is not conducive to winning decisions and some of those championship rounds and fights. You know what I mean? So I think what happened was Yo was like, we're going to yeah. do something different. We're going to make the champion come to us. And I'm not going to rush in there and barrel in. But when I when I force Izzy to come to me, that is when I explode. And it's actually not a bad game plan, but it, the timing of it was was horrible. And also, too, there should have been a plan B when that didn't work because <clears throat> no one has ever tried that on, on Israel Adesanya. So when you notice something new and it's not yeah. working, 
you might want to have some type of plan B or some have time, some type of mid-fight adjustments. And that's where I'm confused. If the shit didn't work, yo, yeah. why didn't you go back to being a beast? And, and trying to, you know, just have this flash knockout like you do with everybody else, balls to the wall. And we didn't see that. He stuck to his bizarre and stupid game plan, and it drove me crazy. So I, I understand why he did it. Again, like what I was saying about Tony Ferguson, I understand the rationale behind it, but not really how he didn't adjust yeah. to it or change his mind when he saw it didn't work. I don't get it. So... So to answer um, mm-hmm. Stuart Campbell's question, how do you think that Paolo Costa actually fares when he inevitably um, goes he up against Israel Adesanya? He loses in beautiful Israel Adesanya fashion because I think his style is tailor-made for Adesanya to cut angles and counter and figure out his range. However, counter, I think the difficulty yeah. in that fight yep. will be that Paulo Costa doesn't really get that tired like he starts to breathe heavy and shit and he lumbers a little bit slower towards mm. you but he never stops coming towards you and he never stops hitting very hard so i wonder if israel can withstand those heavy shots and can he withstand the the cardio to keep countering and angling off and that'll be where he will be tested with paulo but in the long run i'm gonna go with izzy with that because stylistically it's perfect for him to just nail him same here yeah. you're right on the stylistic matchup because yeah. israel loves and so the Israel loves someone yeah. who's actually going to come and bring it so that you know he can pepper yeah. him those mm-hmm. leg kicks which he left you know welts on Yo Romero's legs it's kind of like testimony to what I'm saying he's yeah. very accurate in terms of strikes he loves to actually yeah. pepper people in terms of hooks kicks teeps everything in his arsenal he will bring to you but also he also showed yesterday or he showed in the fight that you know he can take a solid punch because yeah. Yo Romero is no slouch. Whilst he didn't do a lot, what he did do was you know test um, Adesanya's chin. Now he didn't test it often, but those shots which connected, you know, it 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 didn't actually seem to register yeah. with Adesanya. So I see um, Israel Adesanya actually coming across and being the victor. Um, when yeah, he me too. And I think we'll be in Palacosta. for a treat, Stuart, because. I think that we're going to get the fight mm. that we didn't see with Yo, because Paula Costa is perfect yes. for that fun fight that we want to see from Izzy. He will come forward. Izzy will have to counter him. And then Paul Costa is not going to stop coming forward. So it's going to be five rounds of just two of them coming together and one reacting superbly. And it's going to be fun. So we're in for a treat. And that is the fight we should have waited for in the first place. But I'm going to stop rubbing it in. Mike? because <laughs> I can keep going I can keep going um, Mike I have a question for you um, it's actually from um, okay. a new listener or one of my new followers and we're going to run it back to Zhang and JJ mm. he says um, do you okay. think well let me introduce this person first I'm sorry this is the bus big nog fed mm. and his handle is gear g-o-l-e-m 75 don't ask me how they come up with these names Mike but here we go he said, he said wow. do you think if Rose returns to form with a win over Andraj, she could challenge Welly Zhang? What do you think? It's a bit of a hard one to call because obviously the last time you and I um, saw her, mm, for my money, it didn't look mm. that favorable. Now, 
it's difficult to see what changes, what adjustments and what improvements she's made. I, I will be in a better position once I've seen that. But if you're going to run it back um, and from my last memory of her, I would say no. Um, ain't gonna I happen. think Rose puts up a really good fight. And I think, again, we're in for a treat. And this is why, Mike, I wanted Welly Zhang to win. As much as I love JJ in the cage and she's so much fun and she's such a character outside of it, I wanted new blood at the top of this championship yeah. just for this type of matchup. We d- we are still learning about our Chinese champion that ha- that is a... Is, is appearing to be a beast here. Like, uh, enough with the we don't know what she has to offer. Okay, we know what Rose has to offer. Slick footwork, fast hands, and she's well-rounded. So basically, if Welly Zhang takes her to the ground, you know, Rose can fight off her back. Rose is slick with the jujitsu. But my question yeah. is this. Can Rose... Are we, can Rose handle the power of Zhang's right or left hand? Those straight rights she was um, landing to Joanna's face were pretty hard. And although Joanna ate them, can Rose eat them? What's her chin, chin like? Because Zhang is going to test that chin. She's going to hit her hard. Well, well, not only is she coming with power, yes. that speed is phenomenal. And I think, you know, I, I, I get a feeling just from what I've seen already she doesn't really deal well with relentless pace. She doesn't really deal well with relentless strikes. And she doesn't really deal well when her will has been sapped by someone who, you know, isn't going yes. to be um, giving up in terms of And I think it's interesting motion. that you bring up Rose's mental state because I find that Rose is a fighter that actually has to be in a mood to fight. You know what I mean? Like she has to, her chakras have to be in place. Mm. She has to meditate. She has to be zened out and happy in life for her to to have a performance that we saw when she, you know, before she got, you know, power slammed. But I will say this. um, I think Rose can give Zangy, Zangy, excuse me, I'm I'm tripping. (laughs) I think I'm getting the name. I'm horrible (laughs) with names. I think she can give Welly Zang a problem, but I think Zang will prevail because she just simply hits harder than Rose. But Rose can match her speed. Yeah. And and the reason why we're already hypothetically breaking down a fight that hasn't even been announced is because we have a new champion that is really high level, and we needed this. I appreciate Joanna and that she's headed to the Hall of Fame, but I really did want a new champion for this very mm-hmm. reason. We haven't seen Welly Zhang against Tatiana Suarez, um, Rose. There are plenty of people for her to fight, maybe even Valentina. It's just time for some new blood. And I yeah. am excited. Well, that about wraps up this episode of The Wocast. As usual, you can continue any of the dialogue, any of the discussion on Twitter. I'm at Mike TV and G's at G-Spot MMA. Hit me up. Until next time, make some trouble. Always. Now.